What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode seven of Stats That Matter. Today, we're going to talk about Nathan's hot dog eating contest and competitive eating, sports teams discussing renaming themselves in light of serious cultural change, hashtag UFC Fight Island, the NFL making the exact same mistakes as the Major League Baseball, and WNBA, they're pulling extra points. Our main focus this week will be our first guest. Tim, he's a man who truly needs no introduction. We're going to leave it at that. We're going to end this episode, as always, with What's in My Cup. This week, it's a Vienna Lager from Asheville, North Carolina, and a double IPA from Bloomfield, Connecticut. Thanks to all the listeners and supporters. Find Stats Don't Matter wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on social media on Instagram at Stats Don't Matter and on Twitter at Stats Podcast. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get into the fast break, Tim. These are the sports stories that are happening now, and you need our take. You didn't ask for it, but you're going to get it. And, you know, Tim, the 4th of July was this past weekend. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know that means we had the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Yep. Uh, Joey Chestnut had some chomping to do. Uh, He broke his own world record. He consumed 75 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes to win the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Championship. He's won 13 times, eight in a row starting in 2007 before losing to Matt Stoney in 2015 and has won every year since. Now – in 2007, he ate what is an astounding number to me, 66 hot dogs. And in the 13 years since, he's gone up and up and up. And I got to I gotta wonder, is 80 or 100 hot dogs like the holy grail of competitive eating? Because I think that's kind of where we're going. And as if this isn't crazy, because competitive eating is kind of crazy, um, here are some other records that he holds, which are kind of astounding. Uh, he's eaten 257 Hostess donuts in six minutes. Oh, Jesus. He did that in, <laughs> in the World Hostess Donuts Eating Championship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on June 1st, 2018. He ate 32 Big Macs in 38 minutes on February 12th of this pa- of this year. He's eaten 141 hard-boiled eggs in eight minutes, and he did that in, at the Radcliffe Fall Festival in Kentucky on October 5th, 2013. 126 three-inch tortilla tacos in eight minutes. He did that in 2017 at the Mystic Lake Casino Hotel World Taco Eating Championship. And he won Wing Bowl 25, which is an annual Philly event at the Wachovia Center. And he ate 182 chicken wings in 30 minutes. My stomach hurts just thinking about this. Dude, uh, that is insanity. When it comes to just overall food consumption, uh, like most people uh, who've been to a barbecue, you have two hot dogs and a hamburger, and you're ready to purge for the remainder of the evening. I couldn't imagine (laughs) eating a produce section's worth of hot dogs. Like If you walk into your local grocer and you look at all the hot dogs that's there, that's almost more hot dogs than you could probably buy off of a shelf. That is. I bet there's like 75 hot dogs like on the shelf, and he just took them all and ate them. He's like, "No, I'm good. This is an afternoon snack." I have ten minutes. I. It's unreal, unreal. And to find someone who has made and had success as a competitive eater, kids listening at home, I don't know if you've ever bothered to look to see how much money you can make, but he has a net worth of about a million and a half. Doesn't sound like a lot, and you probably, if anybody's earning their money, it's this guy. (laughs) (laughs) But you can get paid a lot of money, apparently, for eating a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. 
he ended up winning at this particular event about ten thousand dollars so the payout isn't quite worth what the discomfort is well it depends on what your outlook on that is yeah you you have to feel terrible for days on end i don't know if anybody days if you've ever seen one of these things live it's physically uncomfortable to watch because they're doing these like neck contortions and the sounds that are coming from them is just so unnatural that it it makes me uncomfortable to watch i saw a little small town uh sort of day event where uh, the special guest was a competitive eater and they paired him up with regular size hot dogs against fans who had the little mini hot dogs not the cocktail size but like the in-betweeners for like kids yeah uh and he mowed down like 48 of them in eight minutes and i think the next closest person who really thought they were going to compete had nine down those buns man they get you every time but what's alarming to me is some of those other stats that you just listed 32 big macs in a half hour or 140 one hard-boiled eggs in eight minutes i have three eggs in the morning in like a a scramble or an omelet and i feel my cholesterol level spike and i think i'm gonna have a heart attack (laughs) 141 eggs is in he's got to be a test down he's got to be a test subject when this is all over just to see the damage this kind of meal takes on your body because not a single thing you I, I noticed there's not a how many salads did you eat in a short amount of time or that's very true I, I don't know why that's not a form of competitive eating why does it have to be just completely crap food for all these but there's no way his insides look like a normal human being no doubtful and uh <clears throat> you know competitive eating i think uh we all have those friends we make competitive eating things with, right? We say, hey, I bet you can't do this. Like I had a friend in college. He tried to eat 10 Whopper Juniors in one sitting. I'm not going to go ahead and spoil it for you. He came really, really close. But 10 Whopper Juniors with all the fixings is, is, is a lot, okay? I mean, I think the, the dumbest thing I ever did, like competitive eating-wise, was I ate like 100 pieces of Starburst. And let me just go ahead and spoil it for you. After about 50, they all taste the same. Yeah. So uh, – Hats off to the people that competitive eat and make a career out of it, but I don't know that a million dollars is enough for me to want to do. And that's that. in your career. That's his net worth. That's how much he's made over cool. the course of fourteen plus years. Now I have to, medical bills alone must be enough. I have to wonder what it what is it that does you in more? Is it the beef or the bread? I know the I know the general idea must be oh the the bread expands in your gut and the carbs weigh you down, but that much meat how much what do you think an average how many how many hamburgers do you think is in a pound or how many hot dogs oh, how many hot dogs do you think are in a pound oh probably like four five yeah so he's eating like i don't know six pounds of hot dogs <laughs> just where does it go like where does that food it- Go. Do you just have like a fast track system where, like, within five hours, it's just, you know, nothing. Let the floor drop out. Package it up, ready to go. <laughs> just drop the yep. floor out and let it all go, like a death charge, or what? What goes on there? Because all that food just sitting there, I just got. It's got to be. The, yeah, it can't be good. Got to be the meat. The bread, I feel like you can, like, breaks up and moves around, but meat is just dense. Like those one hundred Starburst formed a nice 
hard, compact ball of sugar in your gut for about four days, probably. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't recall it being very, very nice at all. You know, I got to say one thing, Tim, just parting, parting comment on this. Uh, I understand that Nathan's pays a lot of money to get this hot dog contest. But uh, being from the Northeast, if you can't put down 35 red hot dogs, I don't want to hear nothing about you putting down <laughs> 75, right? I guarantee after about 30 or 40 of those snappers, homeboy's done. Yeah. Joey Chestnut, if you're listening, go ahead and do 66 red hot dog snappers, and we're going to see what happens. All right. The Washington football team. Maybe you've heard of them. They're referred to by another name. I'm not going to announce it here. Uh, but they said a couple of days ago that they're thoroughly reviewing their team name, uh, which has long been touted as a mainstay of racist tropes of Native Americans, and particularly nicknames. And the head coach of the Washington football team, Ron Rivera, says he and the owner, Dan Snyder, have come up with a couple of names, two I really like. And he, he gave that in an exclusive to the Washington Post. And now the Washington football team has endured waves of external pressure for years, but uh, some of their sponsors decided to say, listen, you either change or we're pulling the name. Uh, FedEx kind of gave them not a cease and desist letter, but that's essentially what it was. And then Nike sort of applied some more overt pressure where you couldn't find any of the Washington football team product on their website, which for most sports teams is kind of a death now. So it seems to have taken hold. We think obviously there's going to be some change that comes of it. Now the Cleveland Indians have announced they're doing the same. Their statement came the same day as the Washington football team because their organization is, quote, committed to engaging our community and appropriate stakeholders to determine the best path forward with regards to our team name. Now, the Indians did remove their hotly contested uh, mascot and logo, Chief Wahoo, from their uniforms last year. Um, Now, they've had that name since 1915, so it seems that it's due for a change in removal as well. And I think those are all telling signs that in the midst of what appears to be undertones of I would say somewhat of a cultural revolution that people are listening. Now you can say, thank you, Washington football team for taking, Oh, I don't know, 40 years to change your name, but there's sort of the better late than never kind of take of this. And then there's other people who are saying, well, listen, some people who are native American don't find this to be offensive. So it's not offensive. And to that, I say this just because one person from a, a subset of, of people feels that it's not offensive, does not mean necessarily carte blanche is not offensive. That one person doesn't speak for the entire subset of, of of that culture, right? So if your excuse is, well, most Native Americans that I've talked to don't find it offensive, that doesn't mean it's not found offensive towards everyone else. So whether it's 2020 and we are finally getting some change, it's better than nothing. A 2020 study this year, 2020, conducted by UC Berkeley, found almost half of Native Americans in the United States found the name offensive. And almost three quarters of those polled who regularly participate in tribal culture found it offensive. So it's kind of a tough and delicate subject to talk about. But the prevailing notion that, well, well, X person in this culture doesn't find it offensive. So it's not is is kind of false. And we really need to get away from that. Yeah, it's one of those awkward conversations where you have a lot of people who aren't part of that culture telling you that you shouldn't be offended. At this point, I'm sure everyone has seen the meme going around where you have the Indians fan with the old school mascot and his face painted, standing in front of and lecturing an actual Native American protester about how it's not offensive. It doesn't, that math doesn't add up. Add it's up. like mm-hmm. right now when you, you know, we, we, this, 
there's a constant conversation about systemic racism and, and blacks in America and people of color coming out and saying, these are the instances and these are the experiences that I've had. And then you have someone staying in front of you saying, no, this doesn't exist. You're, it's, it's a hoax. You're, you're just making this up and you're just trying to be politically correct. It's not yeah. how that works. If you look at the, just the name itself, there are other derogatory terms that are used to also describe other races that we would never say. Um, it, Asian culture, there would never, ever be a team given any sort of thought to using any other derogatory names, how this one has lasted this long. Now, I don't know if you've gone back and looked at a lot of the old Disney movies from when we were kids, but you can see mm. the changeover from then until now. What was acceptable, what wasn't acceptable, what's now not even tolerated at all. And I sat with my son and we watched Peter Pan. And in there, they talk about Indians and the exact same way they're depicted both on the Cleveland Indians jerseys, or they were depicted on a lot of their signage and things like that. And by the name, the, the Washington football team chose to use. So it's, it's not that it's not new that people think that this is offensive. We should no longer use it. It's been something that for a long time people have understood. I just don't understand why it's taken this long for it to kind of be removed. So immediately I'm having to, now question whether or not my son is going to then think of this as normal behavior next time we want to play a game that involves Nerf guns and a bow and arrow. Remember growing up, mm -hmm. we played Cowboys and Indians and there was no thought to it. And now it's something you're like, okay, well, maybe that's not the best thing to teach, but and the names that kind of come along with it that sort of reinforce a lot of those same stereotypes and then the imagery behind it. Right. So, oh, that's the worst part. Yeah. It, it, if the, if the name, is something that you could not get past, but like you just sort of shut her off. Like the imagery yeah. is just horrific. Yeah. And if there was, if we ever needed an explanation of that, anybody who watched uh, Be Like Water, the Bruce Lee documentary, he actually spoke a little bit about how he felt. And this was 30 years ago, 40 years ago, how he felt uh, Asian culture was being depicted in U.S. film where they had these characters that they were taking the characteristics of some Asian cultures and they were exasperating them with, you know, the eyes and the mouth and the teeth. And they didn't look anything or portray anything that was accurate in any way. And if back then he was saying, Hey, look, this is a problem. And we were able to stop that in mainstream television and movies back when the movies were still black and white. And here we are in 2020 and we're still perpetuating some of these same things when it comes to Native American, which, you know, not to say anybody's had it better or worse than anybody else. I would think if we look back historically, I think if anybody should be making moves to help comfort, I would assume it should be the Native American community, given historically all the things that have happened if we take, you know, the start of the U.S. till now. Um, and it's just been something that's continually a point of contention like it whose feelings is it going to hurt by changing the name it sh that, that answer should be nobody there's no there's yeah. nobody sitting at home on their couch who is suddenly like oh my god i can't call them by the same name and oh my god you changed the name this is just pc culture at the end of the day does it like does it matter like i could see you making an argument that do we need to change the name from the indians 
No, as long as you start using that as a way to to pay homage or actual pay actually pay respects to the team. And I know they've over the years they've tried to do that. There has been several games throughout the years where they tried to highlight Native American culture and things like that. But to have that, and then right next to it, you have the booth where you buy all your souvenirs, and then that character is all over the place. It's mm-hmm. it's one does not excuse the other and it doesn't soften the blow of the other so if if you were the cleveland indians and you wanted to keep the name sure but you have to change the logo i totally understand with that if you change the name it who really is it going to bother literally nobody nobody's nobody's actually going to give a shit about the name change it's it's people who want to be outraged at people who are outraged that's all it is it's just that vicious circle yeah but the, the the larger issue at hand, I think, is the fact that we're just brushing aside to incur actual real change because some people who are saying they promote tolerance and diversity aren't actually doing anything when push comes to shove. Uh, we're past the talking time. Yeah. Um, and it's not just the Washington football team or the Cleveland Indians. Chicago Blackhawks came out and they issued a statement as well and talked about how much they work with their stakeholders to include Native American tribes. Yep. And how they're always looking to advance the conversation. Mm-hmm. And that is what we're here for. That's that's where the change needs to be. That's where the conversation yep. needs to go. And oh yeah. I can't believe this is twenty twenty. We have to talk about this. Agreed. I mean using the a group of people's names versus using the color of their skin. Like just say it out loud. You're not saying yep. this is the Indians or the Blackhawks. A black Blackhawks, which is a form of indian tribe or a group of people the indians you are a team named after the color of one's skin which is a stereotype derived but imagine if we had a team in any sport that was like the the chicago black skins like how long ago would that have been changed the fact that native americans within the u.s tend to be overly marginalized and sort of forgotten I was like, "Oh, we gave them casinos. Good enough." No, that's not. That's not how that works. And in fact, most reservations yeah. are just ripe with starvation, alcoholism, depression, all those sort of things because they're not being paid enough attention. And they are someone who, I mean, it's an entire group of people who has been done wrong for years and years and years. And if we can make progress by changing a couple stupid names of teams involved in a game at the end of this is just a game that's literally all it is yep if anyone wants to be sure outraged is. that we need to change a team name who's for someone who takes part in a glorified kids game then you got bigger issues man you got something else you need to work much bigger ufc 251 is this weekend jorge masvidal and kamara uzman set a time to fight on hashtag ufc fight island in dubai now Masvidal took the fight on six days' notice after Usman's original opponent, Gilbert Burns, contracted COVID-19 and had to step out of the fight. Now, there's definite bad blood between Masvidal and Usman, and you only have to do a a simple YouTube uh, search to see this. Uh, And Masvidal was still in a semi-dispute with the UFC surrounding his pay, but that seems to have been sort of alleviated where he got almost all of what he wanted. However, he's had to cut 20 pounds to make this fight happen. Again, the fight he took on six days' notice. And he's also kind of set on record he wasn't training like if I had a fight camp. Uh, Tim, 
I think that Fight Island is going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people probably thought Dana White was out of his mind when he when he said this yeah. in, in what we thought was him saying it in jest. But my goodness, <laughs> yeah. you, you got the guy who has the BMF belt versus the guy who probably believes he's the BMF in that division. Yeah, and I got to know your take on it. I think it has the potential to do one of two things. One of which could still happen when a loss. Uh, I think if Masvidal goes in and wins, it cements him as one of the better fighters uh, of the current generation. Not not all time. Not and I guess we have to define generations. I know he's relatively lesser known to an extent until he started getting involved in some of these bigger bigger fights like the the. BMF fight. <laughs> um, but if it comes in and wins, I think it shows the quality of the fighter and the ability to just constantly stay in fight mode as far as training goes. Not entirely sold. He's ready. I know people in his camp has come out, have come out and said that he's not in normal fight shape. Um, the flip side of that, if he does come in and win, I think it starts to bring into doubt the actual quality of the fighters that in that division just as a whole. Um, right. I think his last fight, uh, not his fight with Nate Diaz was a good fight, maybe a little bit of an early stoppage. I think he was going to win that anyway. Uh, the fight before that with Ben Askren, I think it was actually a little bit of, I'll say a fluke Luck. and a misjudgment. Um, I know he talked about going in prepared for that. I think Ben just didn't see it coming, and it was just a, a a perfect timing combined with a perfect lack of judgment that ended with that. That I think unfairly skyrocketed his uh, his name into sort of the regular conversation. Um, you could say the Diaz fight probably cemented some of that that was a great fight two guys that came in i know diaz beat connor i know he's won a couple big fights but to me i i thought that was sort of a sloppy fight on his end i think if that had gone out that probably would again pretty messy i know everyone makes excuses with the scar tissue over his face and he always bleeds a lot and he does and he comes on in the later rounds which kind of showed that a little bit but he was getting beat up a lot a lot a lot so did they stop it early? Maybe a little bit early, but um, all that being said, it's hard not to go with your emotions in this one. And I think everything is sort of going in his direction. I would, I think he's going to win just because of sort of the the momentum and how everything's going. Um, I think he's an overly cocky fighter, and he's kind of one of those that just sort of drives you nuts because he just never. Shuts up. Stops. Yeah. Talking. Just always, always. And I and I like guys who are confident. I like guys who know their own ability. But man, that guy just doesn't stop. So it'd be fun to watch him get beat up and maybe home with a little bit. Uh he's already said he's only got about three or four years left. Um, maybe something to knock him down a few pegs. Hey man, you can't lose twenty pounds and go in and be competitive would be a great start. But um, I think if he can come in and, and make some moves and, and somehow pull it out, maybe it encourages some other fighters to just stay in 
better shape all the time, but I don't know. Yeah, there's there's definitely the conversation we had there about people that train and have these, you know, these fight camps to be able to get ready for one or two title defenses a year. And I think you definitely do take a look at Masvidal and say, well, he's 3-0 in his last three UFC fights. Well, there are, those might be his only UFC fights, right? Yeah. Now you have uh, Usman, who likes to brawl. Uh, and then you take – if you want to take the fight where he – where Masvidal knocked a guy out with his knee or his or his foot when he, like, jumped into him, I mean, really – this this doesn't look so like like it's going to be an absolute walk in the park for Masvidal. And again, I tend to believe that the UFC kind of took a lot of the you know the heel and the hero kind of sagas that WWE pushed to us for many many years, and they just blew it way out of proportion. They let the floodgates yeah. open, and I love it. That's why you get like guys like Conor McGregor, you know, walking around with these big robes on, and now Masvidal's doing it too. Yeah. You know, did you see the video of him like uh, walking up the the steps to the private jet? He's wearing this like pink robe. Yeah. He, now he's wearing he's wearing his COVID mask, which I appreciate, right? Because <laughs> he was definitely not going to be able to social distance on that plane. But he gave probably one of the weakest salutes I've ever seen. And if you're going to salute wearing a you know a mask to prevent COVID nineteen uh, infection and a pink robe, I, that robe has to be expensive. I mean, at least get your salute right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Just I I think Usman probably wins the fight in a decision or a TKO. And I think that will surprise a lot of people. And I think you make a really good comment about the fact that the quality in the divisions has been a main talking point for a while now. Mm -hmm. A lot of people believe that the UFC has too many divisions Mm -hmm. and there just seems to be a new weight class coming up. But if someone is able to drop a serious amount of weight and go in and wreck another division, that puts serious kinks into your plan about how are we going to stack fights? How are we going to make sure that Tim, who has come on board, you know, from Strike Force to Bellator, and he's got a couple good UFC wins. Maybe they're small time wins, but are we going to elevate him and give him a title shot just because he's won three in a row, four in a row? Mm-hmm. You know, if if people are just going to cut weight to go into every other division, then what's to stop a heavyweight from dropping a, a serious amount of weight and then just working on their cardio? And then just coming in and just running rampant all over like one of the middleweight divisions. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's. In any sort of fight or combat sports, I guess there's there really is no way to regulate that. I don't think because like boxing, it's the same. You can drop and go up and down weight. That's fine. Um, I mean, twenty pounds is a lot. Like if he, it's if a lot. He really dropped twenty pounds in a few months. That is that is really really aggressive. Now. You know, I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on for a second. And I have to wonder, <laughs> was he already losing this weight for another reason? Was he sort of anticipating a move like this already happen, or happening? Yeah. Because you don't lose. I mean, he took the fight on six days notice. You already lost 20 pounds coming into that conversation. I don't, like, I guess I don't, some of the math to me doesn't add up. You had your BMF fight. One, you came out, you're you're in your division. Why did did you lose twenty pounds because you went off and did a Spanish reality TV show and that's why you lost weight? What what yeah. was the reason? <laughs> <laughs> what was the reason <laughs> for cutting twenty pounds before the fight was even before you were even part of the conversation for this fight? Like I have to feel like there was something going on 
behind the scenes and all of this that helped sort of pave the way for this because you can't like i'm mike tyson i'm going from fight to fight to fight i can't think of anything that would cause me to be like oh you know what i'm gonna do between these fights i'm gonna lose 30 pounds oh suddenly a fight came up and now i fit that division you know what yeah let's do this let me get in yeah let me pro- and i think there 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 probably was some sort of contingency i know masvidal was on the record by saying that he assumed that the ufc you know he, he had made a, a comment like jokingly like oh i bet they give me the fight on like six or seven days right and of course covid19 and hashtag ufc fight island just even being as preposterous of an idea as it is right you have to test everyone that comes in and out of there so we've talked about sports in a bubble and if you get to a point where you do test positive you need you need to have backup so I, I think obviously the ufc has plenty of options but yes i agree with you i don't think there's any tinfoil hat needed for this i think there are probably representatives behind the scenes that say look you want to talk about money that's cool we'll talk about money but what this is a what have you done for me lately business yes. and i'm not going to tell you you got to cut weight to make this fight but i'm telling you wink wink yeah. and if you cut weight and make this fight and you win it then we won't have to talk about your pay discrepancy anymore. No. And if, if, for a guy that has said on record that he used to live out of his car for months at a time to just dedicate himself to the gym, that sort of mentality and, and being always ready for a fight may help him win this fight. But if it doesn't, that is a severe blow to the image that he's trying to cultivate and the UFC gets off scot-free. Yeah. Um, if we want to go full tinfoil hat, uh we can all agree this is a pretty good storyline going to some crazy idea called fight island and is going to draw a lot of eyes on this new event do we know if this covid test was done by an independent study or a ufc provided (laughs) tester and i wonder if that seed had been planted early on because nobody's nobody's dumb when it comes to any of this stuff yeah, I'm not, not going to say that this is what happened. I'm on the record as saying this is not fact. I'm making this up, as the Dan Lebetard show would call this. Uh, reckless speculation is what we're calling this here. <laughs> but I suppose I could paint you a picture where the Usman fight is on. They are, quote-unquote, set up, ready to go. They go through all their training camps. Burns is ready to go. But really, they told Burns, hey, we need you to prepare for this. Go into all this as if you're going to fight. Last minute, we'll pay you. We're going to back you out because we want to bring in Masvidal, who somehow miraculously lost 20 pounds between his last fight and now, and just happens to fit this division and this fight, and we're going to give it to him a week out. Because this is our first fight on Fight Island. Those two have beef. One of them holds this made-up belt that everyone keeps talking about. The other one actually holds the divisional belt. What if we get them both in as the main card on our Fight Island card? That sounds like a money-printing machine to me if I've ever heard of one. All right. You, you, can, hear the, you can hear the money machine in the background. Beep, yeah. beep, enough. beep. It's a stack every second. Now, suddenly, the fighter who was just complaining about not getting paid enough has decided to throw his body and legacy on the line underneath a six-day notice. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yep there there are questions to be asked him there are questions to be asked and if you know he i think he's the favorite right now did you say he was the favorite uh actually no it was like you U- know usman's Buck- actually the favorite i was i was incorrect Usman, Usman, well, I mean, Usman's the favorite. The guy, the guy has already been fighting, you know, training for this fight. So I, I would hope that he would be. Although I think the pressure is more on Usman, the fact that if he if he gets his bell rung by a guy who took the fight on six days' notice and wasn't really training, that says again, like you said, a lot about that division. So there, there is a lot to watch. But yeah. sounds um, like an episode of Unsolved you know Mysteries on Netflix. Check it out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan of like the old one that was on like A and E. Yeah. Or oxygen way back in the oh day. Oh my god, you are so young because I remember when it was actually on regular television and I would watch it at night. It would be that followed or preceded by like America's Most Wanted. <laughs> Whew, not probably not even on the air anymore. My goodness. Moving on. Tim, the NFLPA, according to Tom Palacero and Forbes Board of Representatives today, that uh the NFL is proposing a thirty five percent of player salaries for this 2020 season to be held in escrow to help manage the costs during the 2020 seasons. Uh, it's an option on the table. If revenue is impacted league wide by COVID-19. Now I can tell you that the NFL players association already kind of put a statement out saying they pretty much told the NFL to kick rocks. And that's the nice way of saying it. Yep. Um, but I think what we've seen from this is no one in professional sports watches TV. They, they can't. Because if they did, they would have seen everything that's gone on with Major League Baseball, their most dramatic season ever. And the NFL just said, you know what? They're, the future of their sport's not looking very good. Why don't we do them do them something, something bigger? Why don't we just take it a little bit further? Like, did you guys learn nothing from that saga? Less than 24 hours after the Kansas City Chiefs have given Patrick Mahomes the farm, the street, the town, the bank, the state, the NFL is like, look, we had a six-month head start on how we think we might handle the COVID season, but we have no tentative plans. Like, is this a joke? Are we being <laughs> punked? Is Ashton Kutcher or, like, Chance the Rapper going to come out and tell us, like, ha-ha, you've been punked. We got it all figured out. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sort of at a loss for words by the whole thing just – the whole spectacle of sports right now, everything from how much money they have decided to pay him all the way through how they're all managing the opening of the seasons down to the fact that everyone's still deciding to have a season. We're literally watching the sports world implode and we're like two weeks into it where you have MLS teams just fully getting removed from the comeback starting of the season tournament uh, you have training camps getting shut down. My phone every day is being blipped by players who are testing positive for COVID, which they're not going to report. But you also know that anybody they're exposed to is going to also have to be in the same boat. Um, it is just bananas to me that these teams are willing to just put the entire onus on the players to cough up their money. You either want football or you don't want football. You can't. Tell your, I mean, businesses everywhere are attempting to do this, right? We've seen Disney, we've seen uh, Comcast, we've seen a lot of major companies who are reeling because of some of the, the effects of COVID, asking some of their CEOs and their highest paid employees to take pay cuts. In many cases, you're seeing CEOs and presidents of companies, CTOs, 
foregoing their salary for that year in order to put that money back into the business to help keep keep people afloat. Um, it's so bizarre to me to, to in the same week to the NFL statement that they're charging ahead and they plan on having a season no matter what, then come back and say, oh, but also we're going to dock, our, we're going to tax our players 35%. Now, if you're the Patrick Mahomes of the world, that is now literally a drop in the bucket. I mean, if if it's yeah, based on, relatively if, speaking. It's, if it's based on a per season value, if you're looking at 35% of $450 million, that's an insane amount of money. That's like the GDP of some small countries. Um, but I think if you're looking at it from year to year, a lot of these players that make a lot of money and it's again, it's going in escrow. That means it's not going to be lost by the players. They'll eventually get that money. Um, but what about the players that aren't making a ton? What about entry level players? What about players who are still on their rookie contracts? What about fifth and sixth round draft picks that are making league minimums of like a hundred and whatever it is, dollars $160,000 for the season and now you're taking 35% of their money on top of their taxes, which at that tax bracket is another like $35,000. So you have a lot of these players who are going to end up being yeah. paid half of what they're supposed to be getting paid. And that is, that is brutal. That is, I don't care who you are or what your take is on, on money in, in sports. Um, these guys are getting paid what they're getting paid. You can't fault them for getting these contracts. And not everyone is a Patrick Mahomes of the world. Like Cam Newton, for example, who's going to get like a million and a half this year. Oh, 35% of that's gone. And then the NFL wants another 35% of that. Are they taking 35 pre-tax or post-tax? It's, it's all of it is just such a mess that you are, you seem to be on the right track. You seem to be, moving forward to the start of a season whether or not we think that that should have happened or whether or not that is justifiable or not that's not the conversation right now the conversation is that you were moving forward it seemed as if you had everything in place um i actually had a conversation with stefani bell today from espn and we talked about some of the things she has learned and some of her uh conversations around the league with both doctors and teams and some of the testing processes that are going in place. Um, I didn't know that part of the testing process is, uh, is a, an actual cardiological test to make sure all the blood vessels in your heart is working properly because some of the byproduct of all of this is problems with blood flow and your actual heart itself. Um, you had all these things in place. You seemed like you were doing things right and then you had to go and screw it up at the very end by saying like okay but also wait mm -hmm. let's not pay you guys all your money like shouldn't have that been yeah. part of the conversation in the very beginning like before teams started their practices before teams started reporting to camp your first suggestion should have been hey look testing is going to be expensive to make sure that this can happen we're losing a lot of revenue because we're not going to have people in stadium seats uh the only way we can make this work is if players are willing to give back part of their money short term like we had, we had heard about the mlb giving an option to defer some of their payment with interest so leagues are so owners 
wouldn't necessarily have to pay them their full salary, but they were making interest on that. Now that could be tied into this escrow account. They could just be calling it by something different, but it should have been a conversation that happened long before now. And I wouldn't be surprised if this blows up. I think league owners, team owners, everybody should just say, all right, we're operating at a loss this season. Can we do this? Can we not do it? And if you can't do it, opt out opt out straight up be like look this isn't in our cards if we do this we are going to go bankrupt i'm sorry we're out and if enough teams can't do it chalk it up call it a loss or run the season like the nba's short-term season where not every team is part of it yep and this is this is a crazy thing now i don't have the numbers off the current cba which was just signed but the 2011 cba the active roster rookie the minimum salary, $480,000. You take 30%, 35% off the top, okay? That's $168,000 of a rookie salary. You're just gone. So if you don't have a brand, if you don't have a shoe deal, if you don't have something else coming in, you're not making like money in other places, Like that is a sizable chunk. That, that feels like a haymaker to you. And it seems to me, Tim, that the NFL, if, if the NFL was the Titanic, not only do they know the iceberg is out there, but they are they're going, nah, whatever, full steam ahead. Mm-hmm. Like, what? I, I this doesn't make any sense to me. You guys had months, months, and then you got the NFL chief medical officer and Dr. Fauci from the National Institute of Infectious Diseases, like going back and forth subliminally on Twitter. Guys, uh, put this stuff aside. You're you're both MDs. Can't you just like kind of figure this out? Like, can't you come up with a better plan? Like do you, what, do you just magically think this is going to go away? That COVID-19 will just disappear in time for opening day? Yeah. Like Labor Day is going to happen. There's going to be a flyover. There's going to be the national anthem. Um, lift every voice, which is going to be played now, you know, before that as well. Like I, I'm a big fan of that, right? You, you just think that COVID-19 is not going to be in the stands yeah. waving a flag? Like, come we on. We all have phones. Like, There's a funny thing that happens with phones that I think people in this generation have forgotten. When you take your phone out... There is a button by default, usually in the lower left-hand corner, that looks like a shape of what an old phone used to be. And if you press that button, numbers come up on the screen. And when you press numbers (laughs) in a a very specific (laughs) manner, your phone will then connect to another person on the other side. And you can have what we call a conversation. It's much like Sam and I are having right now, where he says something, I listen, I say something back. It's very weird. I know phones... We forgot that they did that once we kind of cut the cords on the phones, but they work that way. You can call each other and hear each other so that there's not this weird back and forth. And one other little pro tip for, you know, everybody out there on the Internet, uh, you don't have to tweet. I don't know if people realize this, but you do not have tweet. It's not a requirement. You don't have to make a Facebook post. You don't have to make an Instagram post. Are you sure? Are you sure? I... How is everyone going to know my hot takes, which are not really that good, if I don't if I don't put them out? No, everyone needs to know what like your opinion is on literally everything and how fire your outfit is and everything else. But ju- very important, just, very important. Just know you don't have to. And if you find yourself in an internet beef, especially as a medical professional, maybe put the internet down, put the phone down, give someone a call. Talk about, hey, you feel this way. I feel this way. 
our decisions are impacting not only an entire country, but also a multi-billion dollar industry known as the NFL. Maybe we should get on the same page yeah. so we're not arguing back and forth. Maybe. Call someone. It's crazy. Everyone has... And if only, like... If only Rob Manfred had had one of these... Well, I think you referred to him as phone calls. Is that what they yeah, are? Yeah, yeah. And in case you didn't... Uh, yeah, if he had had a phone call with Roger Goodell, that would have helped, yeah. I think. In, ca- in case you didn't know, um, almost all phone plans now come with unlimited phone phone minutes because they know people don't use them that often. So you can call someone literally Wait. for free. Are you sure you don't have to pay for minutes? I mean, I think some... Pl- no, actually, I think even the old school ones you used to go into Walmart and buy like the, the monthly card that gave you like... Mm. 200 minutes i think even those are now you just walk in and they're like yeah just give me ten dollars you can call anybody you want nobody nobody's using these minutes anymore it's fine <laughs> all i gotta say is i would have spent a lot of 10 and 25 cents on text messages for my u.s cellular plan way back in the day to say oh my god yeah. the nfl is not gonna have a season so uh nfl we know you're listening obviously because we have our tinfoil hats yeah. on so yeah. you guys just you, you have a few months before things really kind of go bottoms up so uh, whether or not you cancel half the preseason or you cancel the entire preseason you want to run camps listen tim and i have already figured Mm -hmm. this out this is the plan get everyone to come to your facility quarantine them 14 days then do some socially distanced practices continue to test and then talk about maybe having some fans in the stands you're not going to make as much money as you usually do because you sell tickets in the 400s or 500 section for, I don't know, 350 a piece. So you might have to operate at a loss this year, but that will be better than the alternative, which you are currently heading for, which is steaming right towards the iceberg, thinking you are strong enough to crush through it, which let me tell you, you are not. Guys, this is a very momentous occasion. It's the first guest that we have. Uh, on the Stats and Matter podcast. Uh, you guys probably know who this this man is. He's an American sports writer. He's a television analyst. He's the author of The Man I Never Met. He's the breaking news savant for ESPN. He's a Michigan and Meadow graduate, the one, the only Adam Schefter. How you doing? Sam, Tim, thank you for having me and for allowing me to be your honorary maiden voyage guest. I hope we don't <laughs> sink the podcast before it gets running. I hope this isn't like the Titanic, but we'll do our best to keep it afloat. Oh, we definitely will. Um, just cannot believe that this is happening right now. I'm like fanboying out. And I'm sure Tim will go ahead and put it in. But, you know, right before we got on here, we had, you know, a little bit of conversation about uh, myself, the sports fan that I am, and, you know, the the bet that you guys have, are going to hear about in this podcast. And, and Adam's already said that you shouldn't bet against Bill Belichick. So I don't know if that's him having insider information that I'm going to lose this bet with them, but I, that's what I'm taking it as. Well, Sam, I just don't like to guess at too many things. I don't like that's to true. guess. <laughs> yes. The man is, is very, very factual. If I've learned anything about Adam is that uh, he doesn't say anything unless he's got reasoning behind it. It's crazy. <laughs> I think that's accurate, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. So, sir, how has your life been during the pandemic? <laughs> well, I guess my, <laughs> How's the pandemic going for you? Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Um, crazy. Crazy for us. Yeah. I've taken on the brunt of the IT workload. Up until this yeah, point, uh, yeah. yeah, up until this point, we hadn't discussed my employment. Uh, we decided that with you being on, it would only be fair to let people know what our connections were. So people now know I work at ESPN. But 
Yes, I've been taking the brunt of the support workload. Um, but I yeah. see you have found a new hobby in this Peloton. Duh. <laughs> well, Tim, first of all, you do a great job, and I'd be lost at ESPN without you. I will say that. Uh, I would not be connected to Squadcast right now in this call. I would not be. Uh, I would not have access on my iPhone. You've saved my files and many times. And and Sam, just so you know, I keep a journal. I've I've documented every day since 1990. So a lot of times I'll have an issue with the laptop, desktop, whatever it may be, and I have to call Tim. Tim's the first guy. I call. Tim, what's the problem? So <laughs> Tim, Tim yeah. always bails me out. Uh, he's my. I mean, he's my, he's my go-to guy. And so when he came to me to be this guest, uh, I figured it was the least I could do. And I forget the original question. How's the pandemic going for you? Or yeah, what, where it's, we? How, how's the pandemic? How has this affected sort of what your day-to-day was? Because I know there was no such thing as rest in your life before this happened. And now that yeah. sports have quieted down a little bit, the trade conversations have tried a little bit. Have you found yourself with a little bit more time since the shutdown or is it just yeah, sort of same old, same old? I think it's relative, Tim. I think it's really the same thing. I mean, your life still gets interrupted, right? Like, you know, last Sunday night we were at a family dinner with some people and get a call. Hey, Patriots are signing Cam Newton. Oh, uh, excuse me, everybody. I got to go take this call yeah. and I got to go work on a couple of things. And then, you know, Monday I'm hanging out with my daughter and um, supposed to be spending the day with her and to get a call about Patrick Mahomes signing a 10 yep. year contract. So, <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that's that's the life we chose, and it's a honor and a privilege to get to do it. Um, yeah. It's not a complaint, but, yeah, maybe it's been a little lighter than normal. We've seen fewer contract extensions. We've mm-hmm. seen, you know, a little less business activity, but there's just as much tension on what's going to happen with the sport, the pandemic, yeah. and where it's going and what's going to happen. So uh, the bottom line is with this job, it never really stops. It just doesn't. You know, you're sitting yeah. here. I'll be honest with you. I, I was sitting outside with my wife and daughter and son and my in-laws. They just come over and I got your room. like, oh, I forgot. I have to do the podcast at 4 o'clock. So I was like, <laughs> well, 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 we won't take up too much of your time. Oh, no, that's okay. I mean, but that, that's, just, that's just the life I live. Yeah. That's, that's the life. Yeah. But you know, it's the life that everybody lives. Everybody's got jobs. Everybody's got other things they've got to take care of. I'm not any different in that regard. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, a lot of times people ask me, you know, What's it like working with Adam Schefter? And I say you are probably the closest thing I will ever meet to if anybody has ever seen Entourage. But Ari Gold, the guy who's on, yeah, you are definitely a much nicer version of Ari Gold. But in the same vein, where you were just always, always, always on, you'd be in the middle of the conversation, and you can always tell when something happens. Like one of the most memorable things, I think, for me, the first week of free agency week. Uh, both your phones stopped working. I was a little nervous yeah. holding both of those. That was wow. our first interaction. But. But when I came to help you, you were on air. You and Mortensen mm-hmm. were doing your hit, and your phone wasn't working. And I was sitting just off to the side, and it was the day of the Josh Gordon trade. And I'm a big Pats fan. I'm working on your phone, and it rings, and I about shit myself looking at the phone, <laughs> thinking, "Oh my god, uh, hey, Adam, I think this is important." Uh, that was that was definitely nerve wracking. So. I appreciate your your constant grind. Well, you know, the funny part about Entourage, you bring up Entourage and Ari Gold, a little known factoid, the man that wrote Entourage, I think he wrote it, I produced it, wrote it, yeah. something, man by the name of Doug Ellen. Doug Ellen and I went to high school together. Oh, wow. My sister, how about that? So, so are nice. you confirming that it may or may not be based on you? <laughs> no, I was not then the way I am now. I can tell you that for sure. Like, my life was a lot simpler, and I was – 
I was much more of a high school, you know, high school boy. Yeah. 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 So that that's a perfect segue into one of my first real questions. When was the very first, we'll get into some sports, but we want to learn about you for a second. When was the first either story or news that you broke or person <laughs> that you talked to where you thought, I made it? Like, this is it. I've now cemented myself as a legitimate force in the sporting news world. I've never thought that I've made it. I've never felt like that. Um, it's not like you have a story or a person yeah. or a phone call or anything like that. Oh, boy, I've made it now. Yeah. Um, I, I think that you wake up every day and mm -hmm. you think, what do I have to do to make it today? And so yep. I, 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 just, I just don't think like that. It's not how I'm wired. Um, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people that, you know, how do you, how do you get to ESPN and, and they don't, they yeah. didn't see, you know, the front side of it where, you know, when I'm going to school in Michigan and working for the student newspaper and mm -hmm. working as a stringer for the Ann Arbor news and the Detroit free press, and then sending out hundreds of applications and getting hundreds of rejection letters trying to get a newspaper job and finally get a newspaper job after going to graduate school at Medill and then getting an internship in Seattle, Washington, yep. and then spending almost 16 years in Denver working for a newspaper. They don't see that part. Right. And so they, they just see, you know, the lights and glamour of ESPN. And, and I don't really view my job as lights and glamour. I view my job as reporting and gathering information and, the office is TV. It's just happened. It just happens to be where you deliver that information. Yep. And you know, when I'm on the phone on air, uh, that's my job. My job isn't to be on TV. My, my job is oh, like, to me, that's secondary. The other things, yep. uh, if that makes any sense. And yep. so I think a lot of people, th their goal and desire and hope and job is to be on TV. And, and mm -hmm. my job is to get information, gather information, dispense information and do it on TV. Like, mm -hmm. That, that's to me completely second was there ever a story or something that broke where you thought damn i wish i broke that story is there one thing that you thought was a miss well yeah i mean you remember stories that got away i mean of course yeah. um you know i there are there aren't there aren't many stories that just come out of left field and surprise me that, yeah. that that's that's rare it does happen yeah. but a lot of times you know about them you know there have been trades that other people have reported on that i've known about and i was waiting for something to happen or a call to be made and boom yeah you know it's out there so um uh yeah i mean there, there's always stories that you wish you could get you, you you know you're not a robot you're not gonna get everything yeah you, right. do, you do the best job you can you, you try to get as much as you can but you know nobody's gonna get everything nobody ever is gonna do that would you say that there is like a favorite breaking like story that, that you've ever sort of put out. Like there was something that went along the way and you're like, Oh man, I really need like a secondary source to verify this. And I really hope I get to be the one that breaks this story specifically. Well, you know, you, I, it, it's true. Your favorite story is always the next one, right? Like ah. it's true. Um, yep. that, that's how it is. It's okay. Yeah. There've been stories I've gotten and they don't mean anything to me now. I mean, they mean something, of course. You know, what's interesting is coaches in football, they, they can tell you they remember games and plays. Sean McVay remembers every play from every game. I, I can tell you the backstory behind a lot of stories, most every story I've gotten. Like, 
anything that surrounded it. Um, you remember all the details around that story and how it happened. It's funny how that just stays in your mind. Speaking of Patrick Mahomes, you signed the massive half a billion dollar deal. What do you think that means for Dak Prescott? Not as much as you think it would mean. Yeah. Um, no, they're not the same people. No, they're still not the same people, not, not the same. same circumstances. Dak played out his rookie contract. Dak was not a first round pick. Dak is franchise tagged. Yep. Pressure is on Dallas, I think, to get that deal done. Mahomes had yep. two years left. Different players, different stages of their career, different contractual situations, different a lot of different everything. But I think yeah. we could look at it and say Dak wants a four-year contract. The Cowboys want a five-year contract. Hmm. And, I, I mean, of course Dallas is going to say, well, we want your five. And look what Patrick Mahomes did. He did double five. He did ten. Yeah. So why won't you give us five? Like, they're going to say that to him. Of course they're going to say that. But that this guy still, I, I think, is going to stick to his stance of, look, I want a four-year contract, and I want to be a free agent once the new media rights deal is done with the NFL, and I want to be a part of that. So mm-hmm. I, I, I know that people will think, okay, well, Patrick Mahomes got $45 million a year on his extension. Dak Prescott at 31.4 mm-hmm. should get – 38 or 39 or 40 or whatever I, it's that's really not the issue here the i don't think there's much disagreement on his value i think the issue is the years mm-hmm. and the cowboys now i think will feel uh, bolstered by their argument that he should sign a longer deal and, and dak will say i don't really care what you what you're saying yeah and and i think that the, the the contracts for qbs just continue to go up and up and up so i, I know that there are some people who probably just look at the next batch yeah. of quarterbacks that are set to get a contract. Oh, we got, we got say, Deshaun oh, Watson. Well, we got Lamar you know, Jackson next year. We got Dak Prescott. Like, there, oh, there's a lot of quarterbacks. That's Andrew, how it works. It Dak, just cycles so back Ryan's through. Year. And so you're a good yeah. quarterback. You're a good quarterback for a while. You're going to get paid. How much money is Trevor Lawrence going to make in the NFL over the right, over time with the new media rights deal? Like, he could be, who knows, uh, you know, a half-billion-dollar player. Somebody, somebody's going to make a billion yeah. dollars eventually on their contract. Now, do you, th- do you think – a lot of these quarterbacks coming out of colleges are finding a lot of success as mobile quarterbacks, right? They're constantly on the move, which means they're also taking big hits. I'm surprised that teams are going that far out with the risk of a player falling off in the last few years because they're constantly banged up versus longevity that you get out of pass uh, pocket passers like the Aaron Rodgers. Russell, Russell Wilson never gets hit. Aaron Rodgers is mobile. He doesn't get hit that I mean, well, he gets hit, but but Russell Wilson, you know, uh, that guy is unbelievable at avoiding hits, right? Like he didn't. Kyler Murray's great at avoiding hits. Great. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I look yeah. at him like short term and wonder so if, if like all it takes is like one big hit. <laughs> Would you? Like I get concerned. So my constant take on a lot of this has been: I think the era of the mobile quarterback is going to start showing us quarterbacks with shorter careers because you can only get beat up mm-hmm. for so much, right? You're Eventually, you slow it's down always, a little bit. You're like it's one, always been true. There's nothing different today. You think they'll still continue to give these massive long-term deals for quarterbacks who live on their feet? 100%. If, if, a, guy, if a guy can play, he can play. Lamar Jackson, one year from now, if he repeats his year as a running, scrambling quarterback, is going to get the same kind of money that Patrick Mahomes got. Just is. I thought in the beginning of the, I thought in the beginning of the season, Lamar Jackson was my pick to take it all, even though, even over the past. Well, again, he had a great year. He won the MVP of the league. Not Patrick Mahomes. He Lamar Jackson did. If he comes out and has that same kind of year, okay. how is he not getting paid like that at, at this time next year? He is. So uh, they're yep. not going to say, "Boy, 
we're worried about you running out of the pocket. You know, you're worried about anyway. Aaron, you're worried about Aaron Rodgers getting hit in the pocket. You're worried about Carson Wentz getting hurt. You're worried about Jared Goff getting hurt. Jimmy that's what I mean. You see, play, you see players like Carson Wentz who have already that's been sport, somewhat injury prone. That's Jimmy Garoppolo, yeah. So, yeah. Some guys are just very durable, right. like Russell Wilson. Again, doesn't take hits. Yeah, plays, doesn't get I can, hurt. I can feel you gloating. I can feel you gloating yeah. over there and not saying anything, that's but true. I can feel. I can feel Sam Sam's pride coming through. I, yeah, I mean, you have to take a look at the fact that some of the best ability is availability, and the fact that Russ has. Never missed go. a snap, never missed a practice, never missed a game when uh, his ankle was stepped on by Duncan Sue, when his knee was hyperextended. Those are moments as a Seahawks fan where I'm literally going, oh, God, oh, God. And then to see him out there next week, I'm like, this is amazing. However, I'm very worried. <laughs> and then he you know, he just continues to do that season after season. It's it's what makes watching Seahawks games to me so great, but also so aggravating. He's a great player. And, 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 and yeah. For as much as he may or may not run, he he just it's like he's got eyes in the back of his head. He never seems to take a big hit. On the topic of missing games, what do you think the general long-term repercussions are of sort of this COVID world that we're living in now, right? Where we don't know yet what the impact is. Yeah, every, 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 everybody asks, everybody asks me, and here's the truthful answer. I believe the NFL is determined to play a full season. The NFL wants to play a full season. The NFL is going to do everything it can to play a full season. Is the league going to get through a full season? Nobody knows. Nobody knows because we've never been through this. We don't know how the outbreaks work. This country has done a horrendous yeah. job at keeping this in check. And so if we, if we, if we were, if, we, if the NFL were played in Korea or Taiwan uh, or some of these other places that have done a great job controlling the virus, I would say, yeah, we're going to, we're going to have a full yeah. season. We're going to have the Super Bowl in time. Every, but but we, we have not done that as a country. Yeah, what, I think what surprises me is that we still don't know what the long-term effects are from COVID. I didn't even know until I had a conversation yesterday with Stefania Bell, who was telling me about yep. some of the things that she's dug up as far as what teams are having to do in terms of testing. Um cardiological tests, um, vascular tests, everything to determine because there are signs to show that this is causing like heart disease and blood flow restriction problems and things like that. It still surprises me that any league who pays billions of dollars to one player, let alone all the players, plays billions of dollars to these athletes are willing to put them in an arena and expose them to that where it runs a risk of over the next two or three years or four years starting to show that players aren't able to keep up anymore because they have lung damage and their heart that you know they're suffering from oh, heart but disease we don't, we don't know like we don't know right we just don't know that, that could be a, a pretty bad what if for sure um and yeah i think one of the things that I did, tim and i definitely talked about this like the nfl has had uh, i guess the blessing and the curse of seeing all of these other sports leagues kind of go towards the light and deal with trying to restart their seasons or start their seasons in in light of COVID 19 but there's still discussions about whether the preseason will, you know, be canceled or whether they'll run 100%. Like, and just like you said, Adam, there's there's no one who can really just wave a wand and say we're going to have 16. Now, of course, everyone wants the full 16 week season, and we yeah. want the expanded playoffs and, and the preseason. Yeah. But who knows if we'll get there? Yeah, no, nobody does. And again, you said that football's had the benefit of wait. Well, yes, it has in a way. But what benefit? Like we have, we haven't seen what's really happening in basketball. We haven't seen what's happening in hockey or baseball. And, and football is supposed to go to training camp by and large July 28th. I mean, how much how much is football going to see by then? I guess maybe some of that can help. But 
the virus is so unpredictable yep. and so contagious, it seems like, that what does it matter that they get this? Okay, so, wow, we saw that it's very contagious in yeah. basketball and baseball. We saw that it can sweep through a locker room. Whoa, I didn't know that. Like, yeah, know yeah that. It's, it's, it's bizarre that we're going to go into this season and say it gets into a locker room and half the locker room tests positive. They're out of football for two weeks, two weeks worth of games, and then just wiped from the schedule. You know, let me tell you, I was, I was watching a new show this morning. I, there were things that hit you. You just you think, oh, my God. They were saying that if schools start back up, and, and I don't even know that anyone expects schools to be on a full-time basis. If schools start back up with the phone with your kids, my kids, if one of the kids gets it, the other kids have to be quarantined for two weeks. They're not going to school for two. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that. Yep. yeah. And then yeah, like, you know, we're worried about a quarterback being quarantined. And I'm worried about my daughter yeah. being quarantined. From yeah. School. My son, my, my son may not end up back in daycare until sometime next year. So it's, it's crazy. What also surprises me. It's been such a joy for parents, uh, isn't it? We, we've been, we've been very fortunate. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. yeah. For everybody. My wife got furloughed almost immediately, but thanks to, yeah. you know, stimulus packages and all that stuff. We never really felt the financial crunch of all of that, but she's been able to spend more time with my son, which given how busy I am, I have no idea how I would be able to function on a day-to-day basis while also taking care of my four-year-old who just never stops moving. So we're, we're really thankful there. Um, yeah. One of the things with the NFL season that surprises me the most is that they seem to be well underway. Everything is ready to go. And then they announced that they're asking players to put 35% of their pay into escrow. You felt, I feel like that would have been a conversation you had at the beginning of it. No, no, no. But there are a lot of conversations going on about a lot of things. There are a lot of hypotheticals right. being discussed. I, I wouldn't even address any one of them because we don't even know how this is going to work out yet. I'm okay. Just you, yeah. Players aren't going to go yeah. for that. So we have no idea where, where this is going to wind up. No, All not. we know is that what I tell you is they've got to have some serious discussions. Both sides are going to have to give up some concessions here. Both sides got to make this work. Everybody is feeling the pandemic. We at ESPN have felt the pandemic. I personally have felt the pandemic. I've taken my own pay. Everybody's taking pay cuts. So yeah. I mean, players are going to have to take a hit. Owners are going to take a hit. The sports going to take a hit. Everyone's going to take a hit. Everybody. Right. So go figure out how you're going to do that. I, I do have I do have a question for you. You, you know, you're a fervent journaler, yeah. as you've mentioned in your book. Um, so, you know, I don't know what you were doing on the 30th of October. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you right now. Um, oh, okay. Well, it, 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 I'll, I'll wait. But uh, there was a there was a tweet that went to you uh, from at Smith for five eleven. I'm not really sure who he is. I think it's the same name that's on my thing down here. But I, I heard you, that person, not me, uh, definitely me. I heard you on a, a, the Morning Brew podcast, and you were talking about rushing a collegiate fraternity. And of course, you know. Sam and I are Greek in college, so I was like, oh, Adam Schefter, reference your interview on Morning Brew, what collegiate fraternity did you want to get into? But I already know the answer because I, I read <laughs> what, 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 What's the answer, Sam? Sigma Alpha Mu, right? Oh, that, that, that's very good. Well, yeah, yeah. That, and that is a, that is the fraternity that I eventually got into, but it took me one full year. I was rejected uh, both semesters of my freshman year, and that's how I wound up at the student newspaper. Ah, wow. Nice. Because I didn't get into the fraternity. Blessing in disguise, then. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so – I know you are a very involved fantasy football player. Basketball How and many... golf school. Basketball and yep. golf school. I know ba- basketball, yeah, you and Woj, um, which we got to work on Woj next to get him on here. So what is your general 
philosophy when it comes. I know everyone changes a little bit and it changes snake draft versus auction draft. What's your normal action plan at the start of a draft? What's the first two things you're looking for? Well, I guess the first is your draft position, right? And, right. Then, and then that dictates everything. And there's always a few guys I love that I've identified as guys that I want to get. Like I, I, I've had by and large pretty good luck at that. You know, um, mm -hmm. my drafts have not always worked out and equated to championships. I will be the first to admit that I'm still waiting to try to win my first war room fancy football championship <laughs> at ESPN. A 16 yeah. team league. I've never done it. Two years ago, I had a great team. I set a record for points in the regular season and I lost in the postseason. Um, I don't remember who I lost to, um, but it was painful because my team was just, it was loaded. It, you know, it's a, oh God, it was such a good team. I was picking yeah. in like the 16th slot that year, um, mm. the first round. I took Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams. Oh. Yeah, and, and then I it. came and I came back around, and later I took Julian Edelman in the year he was suspended, stashed him. I uh, had Tyler mm -hmm. Boyd, so I was like loaded at wide receiver. My tight end that year, like uh, oh George Kittle. Oh my goodness! Mm. Wow. Yeah, with the, it, yeah, it was a load. It was this striking was, gold. <laughs> my quarterback was Andrew Luck. Yeah. Um, it was a loaded team. The running backs, it was like Tariq Cohn, and and uh, another like PPR guy, like. You know, they were okay. They were good running backs, but the wide receiver every week, somebody would come every week. And then the playoffs, you, my team got blown up by Stefan Gabel. Stefan Gabel. Uh, that is my secret. Yeah. And if we ever get her on the pod, I will, I will, I will let her know that I have won more games than I have lost because every Wednesday or Thursday, when the 06 0 comes out with their injury report, that's what I listen to. Mm. And all, yeah. all the people well, are like, oh, he's doubtful. He's, he's probably he's questionable. I'm like, whatever. You can go ahead and put him in your lineup. I always have, I always, I always have a few guys at the top of the draft that I really want, and I always have a few guys circled at the re at the very end of the draft for, that I really want. You know, there was the one year everybody joked, like, you know, when you can never figure out the Redskins running backs, and I remember Mike Shannon telling me, boy, you want this guy named Alfred Morris, and I watched everybody take that year. They took whoever the starting running back was. I don't even remember. Thompson. And then they took – no, no, it was not. It was – um. It was an established guy. If we go go back and look on Pro Football Reference or something like that from Alfred Morris's rookie year, you'd see who yeah. was. Um, anyway, there were like three yeah. Redskins running backs that were drafted, and I'm watching everyone. I'm going, going, bye, <laughs> bye, <laughs> bye. I'll take Alfred Morris in the last round. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, first week Alfred Morris is starting, and that becomes a thousand yard back, and I'm. A, I enjoyed that. Wow. That's a, is there a – so, by the way, anybody who doesn't have ESPN Insider should get it because Adam puts out uh, all of his draft advice before the draft. And I have – a lot of it. A, a yeah. lot of it. But some of it he stashes for himself, but he puts out I'm a lot of good Matthew stuff. I'm not having Matthew Berry steal any last-minute pitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, there a, is there a hard cutoff for when you will go QB? It's just every year is different. I, you know, in the 16-team league, you always want a quarterback. I – I oh I think more often than not I take one earlier than I should. The the longer you wait, the better off you are. Okay. Almost always. Yeah, if, if you're trying to load up on skill position it. players, right? I mean, I'm in a, a league yeah. that has uh, team defense and IDP flex, and then four mm -hmm. flex positions. You know what I mean? So you're running two wide receivers, two running backs, a tight end, and like up to three flexes a week. So like you you really have to make sure because it's like a 10, 10 to twelve team lead depending on the year. Um, yeah, there's like almost nobody left by the time that you kind of make those picks. So you, you got to say, listen, am I willing to go with a quarterback that might get me 15 to 16 points a week because that's a nice floor? Or do I really need to 
go heavy in the third or the fourth round and take a reach on someone where I might not get a good defensive player or a backup. There you go. There you go. I, 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 again, every draft is different. It's just a feel kind of thing, and you do what you, what, uh, uh, you feel is right. Do you think yep. Cam is going to mesh in New England well? Because I think the era of the Patriot way is on its way out. Now that people are starting to sort of show their emotional side a little bit more, come out a little bit more, you're seeing what happens when players leave. Are they becoming their true self, or is it just the move? Do you think Cam is going to be sort of under the thumb, or are they going to let him sort of – he's already started to chatter a little I, bit. I, I'm yeah, over I, I being think, humble. Yeah, I, I think you have to be you. You know, they're, they're not going to yep. turn Cam into uh, you know, Brian Hoyer. It's just not going to happen. You know, Cam's going to be right. Cam. And it's different. Everybody adjusts. That that's the way it is, right? Like, I mean, uh, Bill Belichick. You know, listen. If Cam Newton's playing like 2015, uh, Bill Belichick mm-hmm. will make it work. No yep. problems. You know, go go go. Post all your uh, hieroglyphic graphics you want on Instagram, <laughs> and it doesn't matter. You know, you you you, you ring up those kind of numbers. Post whatever I, you want. I happen to love those messages right. because I'm just like I yeah. I, I can read them. It's like it's like those memes uh, they get put online. What, what, what do we call that? That that font? What do we call that font? Isn't it like in I think in MS Word it's like wing bats, right? It's like all the symbols. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's what oh. you would do to hide like uh, whatever you were typing in in computer class that you didn't want anyone to know what it was. You yeah. change it over. Uh, I I actually have I, I have one question. You're a big <laughs> Michigan fan, obviously. Would you give up one of Michigan's greatest victories? to replace one of their greatest losses? And if so, which one would it be? Well, yeah, I would give up a lot of wins. There are certain wins I would never give up, okay? I would never give up a single win on the way to the 1989 basketball title run during my senior year of college when they beat in the Sweet 16 uh, North Carolina and Virginia and then went to the Final Four in Seattle and beat Illinois and Seton Hall. Like, those games are off the table. They're untouchable, okay? Um there might not be another other win against Ohio State that I wouldn't trade for a, for a national championship somewhere. I got no problem. I would trade any football victory against Ohio State for the 1992 or three year that the, uh, the Michigan lost to North Carolina in basketball when Chris Weber called timeout. Like I would, I'll give many Ohio State when they won. So you thought about this? Mm. No, you just asked me, so I thought. That. <laughs> but it's burned. It's burned. Well, in yeah, there. It, it it came out that way because uh, when, when I asked Tim this question uh, in the pod, I said, you know, I, I think I would probably give up uh, the Super Bowl loss against the Patriots, but then you have to give up the Super Bowl win against the Broncos, and I don't think I would do that. Well, cer- cer- certain games in my mind are non-negotiable, non-negotiable, and there aren't many of them, but there are certain ones I wouldn't trade for anything. As exciting as the Atlanta comeback was, which was very exciting, I would trade that in to never see an Aaron Boone Game 7 home run to knock the Sox out of the playoffs in the 11th inning of Game 7. I would trade that in. A fun game. We'll have five other Super Bowls in our, in our pocket with, that, uh, <laughs> with cashing that one in. But Aaron Boone, no thanks. Yeah, well... That's how it works, right? I mean, there are certain games we all wish we could get back and certain games that you wouldn't trade for anything. All right. We'll wrap it up then. Um, how do the people find you? Uh, at Adam Schefter on Instagram, right? That's right. The million-dollar hashtag and name. Actually, one other question. Has anyone ever given you the analytics to show you how many times you're mentioned in a day? 
<laughs> I, I, I didn't even know it existed. Yeah, Dude. I think there's a way. We'll, we'll, we'll have to get in touch with the social media guys at work to see, because I think there's a way to see how many times you're mentioned, because I'm sure you see all over Twitter, Schefter scooped my story, blah, 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 without realizing that you probably get mentioned in a million comments every single day. We all know you're getting your stories generally directly from the source. I don't think these people realize that you were probably mentioned. If I had to guess, I'll get the actual numbers to tell you. Mm -hmm. I'll guess you're probably mentioned in the tens of thousands of times every single day. Anytime someone thinks they have breaking news, I'm sure you get tagged in it. <laughs> uh, I know this. There have been a lot of times over the years where people say, oh, I told you that the Cowboys were signing Dak Prescott to a long-term deal or whatever it may be. It's very easy to say these things, right? Um, right. Another thing to see them actually happen. There, there, there have been many yeah. times where people have said to me, hey, just want to give you a heads up. I just saw so-and-so in my city, and he's being traded yeah. here. And he's, and he's not, of course. But. Right. And I'm sure you have your own vetting process. I'm sure you, you know what? your industry you know, secrets. You know, it's not a vetting process. I, I, I've been in the business for over 30 years, Tim. After yep. a while, you just you have a certain sense of what is real and what needs to be checked out and what isn't. Just know. You just know. It's a hard thing to describe, but it's true. Well... We really want to thank you for being part of this. It's uh, it's exciting for us. We thought getting to this point would be a long, arduous journey. And the fact that you were willing to come on six episodes in, seven episodes in, we really, really appreciate it. And we're uh, really thankful to have you. Well, congratulations on the podcast, Sam and Tim. Thanks for having me today. Good luck with it moving forward. And uh, maybe we'll get the chance to do this again one day. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you, guys. Be well. So normally we would get to the, I would say the favorite part of our show, the what's in my cup. But uh, Tim, holy shit, that just we a, happened. We 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 had a guest. We on have the a podcast. new favorite part of our podcast, and that just happened. Yeah, yeah. we do. Yeah. So you want to be interviewed? Uh, just go ahead and check those check those Twitter mentions because I will be <laughs> <Yeah>. in them. <laughs> oh my goodness, we got to celebrate this, of course. As always, we do with What's in My Cup. Uh, Tim, what are you drinking this week? Uh, I'm drinking a double scoop from back east. Uh, it's an all-citra double IPA, 8.4, from a brewery that's just a few towns over in Bloomfield, Connecticut. Um, it's sort of the big brother to another local favorite called Ice Cream Man. Um, doesn't come out all that often. Uh, shout out to John Ladd, one of their sales guys, who... Uh, you know, him and I worked together at the brewery a couple of times. Both of us good friends. Thought I would like it. Also, first of all, quick shout out to Adam Schefter. The best. That was awesome. amazing. Shout uh, out to Schefter. Thank yeah. you very much. Second shout out to Mike Golick Sr., who was a force in morning sports talk radio for 20 years, give or take. Uh had Mike and Mike went on to Golik and Wingo. Um, as of this week, we'll no longer be on Golik and Wingo. Uh, I know his future is still, uh, you know, kind of uncertain. I know he's still underneath contract with ESPN, but uh, I'm a huge fan. If he listens to this, I wish him all the best. Shout out to Golik. Sam, what are you drinking? Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty stoked about this. I'm not going to lie. Uh, this is called High Wire Loves Asheville. It's a Vienna-style lager with high noon coffee. and It's a collaboration between High Wire Brewing and Dissolver. 
Renko. I don't know about you. I happen to love coffee beers, whether it's uh, stouts that have coffee in them, lagers that have coffee in them, um, IPAs that have coffee in them. I'm a huge fan. I don't know if you guys have had. There's an IPA. I can't remember the name of, of it off the top of my head, but it's made with Death Wish coffee. And mm. um, I, I think I had like one time. I'm not saying I had heart palpitations, but I, I I think I recall having heart palpitations. Like there was just so much, <laughs> I, and there's probably no caffeine in it. It was probably brewed out, but that was just amazing. So, uh, lucky number seven, Tim. Here we are. Cheers. Mm. Cheers, man. Number seven is in the books. Number biggest, best yet. I encourage you to tune in to all of the future podcasts because we have some big things in store. I'm lucky enough to have a really supportive group of colleagues who want to see me succeed and to see Sam and I find success with his podcast. Started with Adam Schefter. There are lots of people who are jumping on board. We have some very funny people coming on. We have some MLB insiders. We have some medical insiders. We have some more football insiders. Things are happening at a much faster rate than what we were anticipating, but I want to encourage you now to, if you've been on the fence with listening, get involved. No, that's the hype train. I can hear the whistle of the hype train. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, and, and there's a there's a few hundred of you who have already listened to the podcast. We really appreciate that. Uh, you, I guess you're now our day ones, which is, is still crazy we, for me to think out loud. And for anyone who's listening, just know that like. Tim is the wind beneath my wings, but I'm the one who's holding on to the landing gear of this aircraft. Like he's dragging me along for the ride. I'm definitely not in the same solar system. I'm not having it. I'm not having it. You are a co-pilot. You are just as much a part of this. Um, Sam has been sort of carrying this thing leading up until this point. I'm overwhelmed with work. Sam has been picking up a lot of the show writing because believe it or not, we do put a lot of effort into setting this show up so that it is, formatted we are giving you concise information we're not just sitting down with two microphones and seeing how things go we do put a lot of time and effort into preparing this uh without sam we may not be quite as we'll say we'll say it organized <laughs> that's it that's all i bring we'll, we'll call it organized. I, I write we'll call it organized. outlines that's it that's all i do yeah hey you did some research and despite the tagline that stats don't matter if you've listened already you know that that's just sort of a funny play on words so you do a lot of digging in we're in this together. We're in this with all of you guys. We encourage you to listen, continue to provide us with feedback. You guys have all been very gracious so far. Uh, we also encourage you, when you can, share it so we get feedback from people we may not know who might not be as worried about hurting our feelings. Because at the end of this, we want to deliver entertaining information. We want to get, deliver a good experience. Without that feedback, we'll just continue to tread water if that seems to be what we're doing but we love you guys we appreciate what this is becoming and we uh we're looking very much forward to where this takes us because this is crazy yeah crazy with a capital c hell to the yeah <laughs> let's go cheers. cheers cheers again everybody